0: this evening with uh, stalwarts ian and martin uh, say hello guys hello good evening everybody and this evening we will be having a chat about uh, a rather a rather big album uh, from the 80s that being appetite for destruction by guns and roses so after our little uh, little show preamble Uh, I'm going to hand over to Martin for this one, and I think he may tangentialise immediately, but go for it, man. Right.
1: Appetite for destruction, or as I called it after listening to it so many times, contemporary uses for cowbell. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. (laughs) And I actually listened to it again uh, with clear ears last night for the first time in a while, and I realised how little drum fills there are in it. And how it just swings. Yeah. So f- there's a lot that I'm going to talk about, but f- Popcorn, um, there's not a great amount of flashiness going on, but God, solid as a rock with Cowbell.
0: <laughs> well, uh, it's a, it's it's an album that I do listen to on and off semi-regularly. Um, I guess it, it's a bit of a cornerstone for me in many ways. Um, I... When I started playing guitar, I, I, I started playing guitar, Gus Prince. Uh, a lot of people who know me know that. But the the first sort of serious guitar playing stuff that I tried to learn and, and, and copy as a way of learning predominantly pentatonics, I guess, at the time, um, was uh, Guns N' Roses, Slash's work, and, and this this album particularly. In fact, the, the tablature book for this album pretty much taught me how to play guitar, if I'm honest. That and, uh, well... But the precursor to that was Look What The Cag Dragged In by Poison, but we won't <laughs> talk about that too much. That's, I learned power chords there and then progressed nicely. So that Now, all good. I believe, Paddy, that
2: when we first met and started jamming together, there were at least two tracks off this album that were in that set.
0: I believe that to be the case, Ian. I believe that to be the case. I, that to be the case. Um, I think one of them would have been it's so easy, and I think the other one would have been Night Train, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to argue about it, because I can't remember well enough, but, but possible, But yeah, this I mean, this album was a huge album, obviously. It was um, released in, in 87. Um, it was not immediately uh, embraced. I think it took about a year. Having I've been, I've been done my my reading up for, for a little bit of factoids, uh, it took a year of... Uh, constant touring, uh, some MTV airplay and of course the um, ballad equivalent of a, of a nuclear bomb that was um, Sweet Child of Mine um, to land before they sort of rocketed into 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 big stardom. Um, I guess around the time the sort of contemporary sounds for that first year of Appetite had been available were things like Slippery When Wet and Hysteria. So it was a that kind of more polished populist, dare I say, slightly pop rock sound that was a bit more predominant uh, in the States. And then this, this came along. It was dirty. And <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I sometimes feel it was a bit of a, a slight shuffle in the right direction to what came later at the beginning of the nineties with alternative, alternative rock that ultimately, um, undid, undid a lot of the good work that this this album did. Um, I don't say that from a preferential or non-preferential point of view. Um, I think it, it was a great album, and, and there were a lot of other bands that sounded a little bit more like Guns and Roses. I would I would probably have preferred to to I don't know um, Death Leffert and Bon Jovi on the face of it. But yeah, uh, a fantastic album. A bunch of a bunch of singles. An album with a lot of singles. Sorry, go on Ian. Well, I,
2: I, I was going to say, I, I think oftentimes Guns N' Roses, especially the, this era, get lumped in with the the kind of hair metal type uh, movement. I'm not sure that they ever were. Um, I think as we'll get through, we'll we'll yeah. probably discuss discuss the obvious kind of punk influence on on this album. Um, there are one or two bits where the hair metal kind of comparison shines through, but I believe if we talk about the the great metal purge of 1991 um, uh, in the, in the wake of uh, Nevermind. Um, uh, I'm not so sure that Guns N' Roses, the sound that's not that, you know, talk about the antics for now um, was necessarily part of the stuff that, that needed clearing away. Um, I, I think it was uh, um, certainly not the, uh, an alternative uh, uh, sound, but it was a, a harder edged. It, it wasn't quite so so bubblegum as, as what you you'd kind of think of the more kind of
0: cynical chart baiting hair metal. It was it was a bunch of guys who were who were very much writing what they wanted to write rather than listening to what was going on around them at the time from their contemporaries. I think it was it was a bit more honest, and uh, I think sort of knowing the characters involved, the parity with the music pretty unavoidable. Um, and I think that that kind of shone through. I think it was. I would. I don't want to go as far as to say it felt like a huge watershed, but I think there was certainly a watershed aspect with this, uh, with this album. Um, it didn't quite sweep everything, sweep everything away, um, but I think it helped retune that era of sort of rock, softer metal music. Um, it, it's interesting what you say about the sort of glam connotations where I'm thinking of like the Motley Crue's and the Poisons who had both been around I me mean, a little bit before Guns N' Roses and the, the Sunset Strip um, yeah. connection. But the, yeah, the Sunset Strip was was a place that had uh, bluesy rock bands as well. But I think Guns N' Roses were the ones that stood out and perhaps brought a lot of the other uh, the quality ones along with them arguably bands like LA Guns, of which there is obviously a link, Fast yep. Pussycat, etc. etc. Okay. Um but yeah they, they I think very very early the other thing was and I don't think it was intentional very very early if you just looked at a picture of Axel with his big sort of big expansive lots of hairspray hair which didn't last for very long I don't think in the in the visual representation of the band it was kind of um a little bit more straight and lank after that, but if you look at that first sort of the, the, the Welcome to the Jungle video and things like that, I, I suppose you could be forgiven for looking at it and then looking at CC development and thinking, "Oh, look, big hair." But I think that's where the comparisons started but and ended.
1: If you look at Axl Rose and the vibe of it, there's only two words that need to be said, and that's Hanoi Rocks because they're you know massive Hanoi Rocks influence on the band when they first started out. Massive. That's something that kind of gets almost forgotten about, you know, and Hanoi Rocks were best mates with the Damned. And so the kind of vibe of the Hanoi Rocks and the Damned, to me, put that together and you've got Guns and Roses.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, more rock and, sort of rock, straight a rock and roll influence. I, I I, mean, I can hear a bit of Stones in there sometimes. Well, I, I think a lot of that comes
2: through. Th- there's an obvious Aerosmith um Oh, uh, thread yes. running through it i mean i i, I mean um axel rose especially um has has talked about his uh, his kind of love of of, of aerosmith and then uh, things like thin Lizzy uh, mm. as well those kind of things i know i know that was an influence on the band and you can hear that kind of stuff coming through so some of it is filtered through um other bands and some some of it they, they've got got direct but it, it's all in there um and it, and it, it does seem to be um, music written by people that listen to music and like music, as yeah. opposed to um, mu- people that listen to one sort of yeah. music.
1: They're, they're informed musicians rather than listen to genre. You know, listen to one kind of thing. I mean, you look at people like Izzy Stradlin very much you know influenced by you know the bluesier side of the Stones. You look at Duff McKagan, you know, punk rocker through and through. You look at uh, Slash and his influences, you know, from growing up as he did in the, you know, the household he grew up in, and all the people yeah. that came into his household. You just absorb them like a like a sponge, you know. And you know, as we've already sp- spoke about with Axel, you know, with Aerosmith and Hanoi Rocks, you know, they were informed by those bands. It wasn't a case that they tried to copy them. You know, they took parts of all these bands that they loved. Whereas some bands, they will hear a band and they will basically just try and copy what that band did, but with just new lyrics and slightly different chords. These were more we were passionate about the music we've listened to, it, and this is we're going to put it into this melting pot, and this is what it sounds like when when you put it together.
0: Yeah, I think I think they certainly ploughed their own furrow, yeah. um, like you say, in an informed sense. It was interesting what you said about Aerosmith, um, Ian, because. I always, I always felt with Aerosmith. You, when by the time Guns and Roses had hit, Aerosmith had become a little bit more produced, in like oh yeah. the eighty-seven Permanent Vacation. So it was nice that that kind of I mean intentional, intentional knob. That's how they played. That's what they liked. But it's nice that that little sort of vibe of a of, of an earlier Aerosmith album that would have had. Um, toys in the attic. On it, you can really hear. Well, of course. Of
2: uh, I mean, they they covered Mummokin, You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you Don't get more
0: more obvious a connection than that. True, true. Okay, let's let's fire through. We've got a lot of tracks to go out. So let's uh, fire through the um, the tracks uh, and see where we get. So welcome to the jungle. My my word. I I said at the beginning. I I, I felt. There are obviously stronger and, and weaker tracks on most albums, and this is no different. But I, I think the uh, it's one of those situations where the weaker tracks are still, oh well, if you have to say one's weaker, it, it, it's weaker. So <clears throat> it does feel like it's a you know a bunch of uh, a bunch of potential singles for me. Uh, but welcome to the jungle as an opener, um, particularly with that riff, it always it always made me sort of feel that there's like a. A roller coaster aspect with this particular—it's not necessarily intentional—but when you when you get the riff and you get the the delay and the build underneath and everything that's going on, it kind of feels like the roller coaster that's just <laughs> <laughs> to the top, and then when it dun, 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 when it actually hits and you go into sort of the main riff for the verses, it just feels like you know your arms are back and you're flying down that uh, down that hill. Uh, for those of you who can't obviously see this because you're listening to it I just put my hands in there the a <laughs> with the, with the roller coaster there too no great effect at all um, but yeah no absolutely absolutely cracking intro song the irony being the next the second song would have also been a cracking intro song and was used perhaps even more often as a cracking live intro song but anyway we'll, we'll go there in a minute
1: similar to what you were saying about the roller coaster, the, the way I've always felt this is this was like the blue touch paper and you are watching it as it gets to the incendiary device, and then it just goes bang. We're in, and you know it's, yeah. it builds the excitement. And it's it's you know if you listen to it on the headphones, there's plenty going on there, and then it just kicks into this cacophony of pure rock and roll noise, which uh, you know it's like, stop yourself in. It's gonna be it's gonna it's gonna be a rocking ride.
2: Well, it, it has as an opener to the album. I mean, obviously, starting with that that delay guitar uh, and then building under under as you say. I mean, it, it's a hell of a starter for an album. But also as a as a single as mm. a radio uh, play that comes on, you know what's coming because nothing else, nothing, sounds like that. Mm. You you know what you know what you're about to listen to when, when that comes on, um, and uh, it it kind of it kind of builds brilliantly but it's also like the album in microcosm and any bit uh or, or of any song is kind of reflected in this you've got grinding riffs you've got a really swinging uh uh, uh drum beat you've got that kind of rolling groove on the bass you've got almost ballady vocals at some point you've got uh, breakdowns you've got the screaming vocals you've got you've got i mean you've got yeah, <laughs> do solo. You've got solo before the before the second verse, and then there's a, a another, and then you've got you know of course the uh, the you know where you are bit that everyone can remember. I mean, it, it's it, it pretty much is the the album in a, in a uh, in a four minute mm.
1: <laughs> rock song. A resume, yeah, yeah. Never thought about it that way, but you're quite right. It does sum up the album perfectly.
0: I just just a reference to this song in particular as well, which. I, I will I would like to expand a little bit uh, into just something about Steve Nadler that I always thought um, i i always I, have, I really do have this thing about there was never another drummer for Guns N' Roses for me other than Steve Nadler um, that he he could be relatively understated, but he was loose he was loose but tight and when he mm-hmm. was uh, early on when you listen to him i I watched the um I, well, I do I this it's... sometimes online i'll come on to that later no it was the 1988 uh, mtv music awards performance of this song oh yeah and it's oh my god it it, it kicks so much ass that the the hairs on the back of my neck go just thinking about that performance is really just stunning and a lot of that you, you listen to steve nadler now i have nothing against matt sorum possibly a better technical drummer and so on and so forth but Oh, just like listening to Steve Nadler, it, it's another planet, it's so much, so much better. Um, and I, I compare it to, I think it might have been 2002 or 2006 when uh, the uh, some sort of one of the Frankenstein Guns N' Roses lineups with Axel singing um, opened with Guns N' Roses in a little medley they did at the MTV Music Awards. Now, uh, at that time, it was exciting. I mean, it was very exciting because here's some of your sort of rock hero, well, one of your rock heroes and a load of extremely good musicians mm-hmm. playing some really good tunes. And, and the lift, because they opened with, with, uh, with, um, apt- uh, with, sorry, with Welcome to the Jungle, that the riff starts, the whole crowd who'd popped once, pop again, and then you go into this song. But all that side of these awesome musicians... I go and watch the eight, 1988 version where they all sort of shuffle on and, and, the, and the, you get the side camera just um, on Steve Nadler and he starts with the groove and he's just like, oh, you can't touch that. Absolutely superb. Uh, which kind of feeds into another thing as well. <clears throat> the, the, the symptomatic nature of that of that riff. I remember having a, a conversation when I saw um, Guns N' Roses at Reading uh, the 2000 appearance, so Lee, I said Leeds Reading, it was actually in Leeds um, when they played. And I remember having a conversation with with somebody that you both know, a young lady who was like, oh, I've always wanted to see Guns N' Roses, and oh my God, it's amazing, it's amazing, this is amazing. And I sort of said, you know what, if, if, a, if a bunch of musicians with the original singer can't make a good job <laughs> of, of this album and do a kick-ass gig, then they need to throw all their... Um, all their instruments away and and, and sort of walk away from the industry because this stuff is so good. And as you said, that that kind of plays into this idea of this song being a macrocosm of the rest of the the album. There are so many um, component parts in the song that are just perfect, perfect little things. Intro, pre-solo, solo, solo, the breakdown, the whole... there's, There's so much going on. And then the sort of the slightly more overstated rift ending it's just it's such a superb song and again just just a note about like Slash's main solo on this I do find that ever such a tasteful nice building solo it's not particularly stunningly you know it's not a stunning solo in terms of technicality or anything like that but it fits it, it fits the it fits the song and that is always the thing that is most important. And I think that's always the thing that's hardest to do. And you can tell when guitar players can't do it, who might be better guitar players than Slash, but in the context of him doing this job on this song, again, it's an absolutely wailingly good solo.
2: Well, I I believe that, uh, in fact, I'm I'm probably quoting Wikipedia here rather than any other more esteemed tome. Um, uh, But I think... Uh, i'm right in saying that slash spent a lot of time with the producer specifically working on the solos and pairing them down from what his natural proclivity was to try and to try and do that to get them to to fit the the song and not just be a um you know a demonstration of how how quick he can move his fingers which you know a lot of lead guitar can be and it bores the pants off me quite frankly i don't really care how fast you can move your fingers i want to know to know where you're gonna put them <laughs> um, uh, so I you know I, I I think that feeds into something that I uh, kind of made a note of this of this song. It sounds like a lot of work <laughs> went into this song. it doesn't sound like you know it, they just jammed it and this fell out. It does sound like they I don't know whether they or producer or two songwriters or, or what but but someone has spent a lot of time putting all these pieces together, all the little bits, because, you know, the bits at the end of the verses, they're different each time. Um, so, uh, you know, I, th- I think that all kind of folds into it. It's, it has been constructed in a very professional way, but not in a cynical way. Yeah. No,
1: no. I am going to implore everyone who listens to this podcast to re-listen to the album with a really good set of headphones. Yeah. For a yeah. simple reason. I've always heard this album loud and loud and loud. But what I did I listened to it quite quietly on the headphones, on really decent quality headphones. And on this particular song, you know the bridge part where it goes quiet, you know, when you're high, you never the guitar work on that was a revelation hearing it on the headphones because you got the bring and then there's a lovely little lilt on the guitar, you know, and it's it's the band you mentioned earlier on, Thin Lizzy. You can imagine like that dual kind of guitar duel going off. Yeah, you know, bouncing off each other, and it 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 was the first time I'd really heard that mellowness on the guitar and those lovely little bits by listening to. And they headphones. do have,
2: um, they do have Izzy and Slash panned extreme mm. left and extreme right, so there's no kind of blending. There's no kind of. Um, the Guitars kind of falling over each other and, uh, and blending to mass. They're two distinct parts going on, um, and hearing them, like you say, in, in in really good cans, you start to hear all sorts mm. of things. I just to pick up something you'd said generally uh, about the, the the drumming and the economy of the drumming. Um, first of all, yes, cowbell in the, <laughs> in the song, um, but going in, I think it's going into the verse, uh, into the chorus, or or maybe even the pre-chorus. Rather than a drum roll, he just does a bit of a, a flam yeah. on the snare, and it's so subtle and so simple, but it's absolutely right because it just changes the changes the pace yeah. and changes the groove. It's,
1: it's, it's something that I do. I did with one band for, for the simple reason that our singer had, had a stroke and couldn't remember to differentiate between certain parts, so we put very definite flams in. So it's like, mm. this is the end of this, and it leads into that rather than a fill, like a big, look at me, I'm really clever, and I can hit all these tom-toms. And to me, it had much more effect, and I've carried it on to other bands I've done because it has more effect keeping it, and it allows the other mu- musicians to really breathe. And I think that's the one thing that people might not appreciate about this whole album is Stephen Adler's, as you say, he, the fact that he's, he's serving the song Rather than going, yeah. rather than they, you know, no disrespect because he's a brilliant drummer, Tommy Lee. Let's just put as much as we can everywhere. You know, <laughs> what what Stephen Adler's has done on this album, it's 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 stripped down, uh, and there's some lovely little kind of motifs that he does quite regularly that are not vulgar from a drummer's point of view, and that just they're simple, but they're really massively effective. And that, well, as Paddy said earlier, I think he's he's kind of written out the picture to a degree of the the, the overall history of Guns N' Roses because he was only the drummer, but no album they did after that oh. ever sounded the way that that album did. The attitude that yeah. he, he you know that it, it, it had in it as a result of the musicians that were on it, you know, him and one of the person that wasn't on future albums, you know, that we'll talk about later on, um. I don't think could be understated
0: couldn't agree more mine no i'm a, a big big uh, fan of steve nadler's uh, and his drumming on this album absolutely perfect um and again you you mentioned the ritz i'll probably come on to that again a few times but you, you watch him on the ritz video and i it just oh it's just perfect it's perfect the perfect some of the parts and, and his part mm. absolutely loved it loved it
2: i think I, I for any drummers that that are listening i mean I, Everyone's learned how to to play flams as part of their rudiment practices. I mean, it's basic. It's starter drum. Don't don't forget that stuff because the the simple stuff is 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 still effective. Just because you've you know kind of moved on to um, it's the same as with lead guitarists as I was saying earlier. Just because you've moved on and you can do more complex stuff, it doesn't mean it always uh, always needs it.
1: Sometimes less is more because it allows. It allows you to hear the things that you wouldn't be able because they'd be covered up by Tom Roll or you know whatever. Yeah. So just yeah. allowing other people the, the space and sometimes having nothing there that allows it to breathe, and I think that's what this album does really well. Despite as you said, there's there's lots you know kitchen sink goes on on this song, but it doesn't feel like it's overproduced. It's very much a case of it. it's very well thought out, but also it breathes it's very organic
0: great opening track i think we can all agree hmm. so uh on to track two it's so easy go on ian um
2: well i mean at uh, 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 first look you could say it is so easy i mean it was written by duff as we know is very much from the punk uh background the proper kind of like you know um the kind of hard hardcore uh punk kiddies um um and so you you can kind of tell that the riff being written by a bass player, <laughs> um, it's quite simple. It's you know it's a fairly root one riff, but it gets saved by fantastic arrangement and and just good, uh, um, uh, songwriting on top. That it, it kind of develops from what, you know, opens up as being a pretty straightforward,
0: uh, rock song. I think. Yeah, I, I love the I love the kind of change of pace in. Change of flavor, should I say? Yeah. With regard to the sort of punk, more punk edginess and more punk personality coming into it, um, I think of all the songs on this album to play, e- uh, it's so easy. Is easily my favourite one. Uh, it's a, it, it suits uh, good. That's that's one of the things. It's so, Guns and Roses so, could so naturally go in this direction, and it still worked. It didn't all have to be sort of swung blues. You could you could give it some of this, and it works just as well. Um, it's funny. My, my, my enduring memory of what one of my memories are attached to this song is many, many years ago when I used to work in a, in a textile mill, lugging um, freshly spun yarn around. <laughs> um, I remember I had. Uh, I'm pretty sure I, I didn't often listen to Radio One, but I'm pretty sure for some reason it was Radio One. Uh, but anyway, it was it was one of the bigger radio stations. And uh, they'd announced, they were, now we're going to have a track by Guns N' Roses. And they put this on. So we, we get to about the last third. And I thought, well, are they going to fade this out? Because I knew what was coming with <laughs> regards to the, the lyrical content and uh, the, the few F-bombs at the end, which are perfectly in keeping with the music. No issue there. And I always respected them for not, not fading it out. They'd let it play till the end, and then apologise and said so that that wasn't actually the track <laughs> we wanted to play, but we we hope we apologise for anybody it may have offended. But you know, and I thought, well, fair play. At least you let it go. So respect for that, if nothing else. Um, but yeah, um, cracking track, and uh, it it's one that they um, uh, fairly often open gigs with. I mean, up until the the, the sort of current touring with the the semi full reformation. Um, so, yeah, I kind of like that, that little strange comparison with that and, and Welcome to the Jungle. Welcome to the Jungle certainly sets off the album okay, but um, I find it quite nice that they still open with the bang in your face after a simple little uh, also instantly recognizable bass intro to, to sort of open a lot of gigs with. Um, I think that really speaks well for the song. And those, um, again, back to, back to Adler because I can't help myself. Those singles at the beginning on the snare—it's just—it's—it's it's kind of like I say simple, crisp. I—I I th- I think I'm right in saying I like crisp, rudimentary stuff, but just just so perfect for what it is.
1: Yeah, and the way it actually leads into those stabs that take you into the song proper—that is just—it's exciting. You know, it's like it we go. It's—it's it's almost like it's galloping and then it jumps, and then we're in. And. Galloping yeah. is such a perfect word for that. Yeah. I wish I'd, I wish I'd come with that. Yeah, absolutely. When I hear this song, it reminds me of two songs very much, which is Neat 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 by the Damned and The Trooper by Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. It's got that gallop to it that always, you know, the, the trooper did. But you can tell like you say, you can tell where, where, where it's come from. You know, the the, the bass line at the start of Neat 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 by the Damned as informed, but it doesn't sound anything like it, but it's informed this song in its creation
2: and and I think that that kind of galloping full bore attack on the verses just makes it even more effective when it drops to half speed mm. for the for the kind of breakdown and I I I again I think this is something that the album has in, in spades are those little hooks that aren't you know they're not little riffs or or, or licks or what have you they're, they're kind of arrangement hooks and so you get the, the the half speed breakdown, and then the song get, carries on, and, and then you come back to the half speed breakdown. But the next time, it then doubles up, but it's not got back to the gallop. It's it's kind of speeding up the pace of 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 the of the half speed, and it's just so effective. Playing around with it's not the tempo; it's just the feel mm-hmm. of, the, of the of the the tempo. Um, it's still, you know, as many beats a minute. They're just playing fewer of them in there. Uh, and it's just little things like that that I think give give the, the, the song a, an interesting structure and lift it away from being a, a kind of root one um, kind of uh, punky rock okay. song.
1: And the other thing I really <laughs> love about the song, I love the multi track vocal on it, because it's not yeah. what we expect, with the feel of what comes in, you're expecting a more punky kind of raw kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the way the vocals kind of, you've got the high and the low pitching going on. And they complement each other so so well that it just sounds like one, like, angry choir singing it. You've got like uh, the almost like a dismissive, nihilistic, yeah. voice going on, and then you've got the rock and roll voice going on, and and the, the way they blended them together was really fantastic.
2: I think that um, also on the uh, the chorus, um, it's. It's a bass-driven chorus, and then you've got the two guitar parts, and they're both playing different lines. And again, they're they're kind of the stereo separation has spread them right out. So you've got, because of you know what the bass is doing, you've essentially got three guitar melodies going on simultaneously, and they all, you know, there's 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 no danger of them tramping on each other. It's just a
0: a really interesting uh, dynamic. Mm. Yeah. Great song, great song. Just the other simple thing again from, from a guitar point of view as well. When, when we're referring to punk, um, what people might think is more of a punk is, and man probably is to a degree, is like slamming power, you know, slamming power chords, chugging, and that, that kind of thing. When we say punk, it, a lot of it's the attitude and the, the, the basic way it's put together, the, the actual little trade off riffs and the little walk down. Um, they're actually sort of nice, nice little sort of proper overall riffs, rather than just yep. sort of slamming, slamming fifths and stuff. So, um, yeah, fantastic tune. The uh, radio 1 should to play it every every day as far as I was concerned. <laughs> Although it's so. not it's not big or clever to uh, to drop the f bomb. <laughs> Oh I'm so tempted, but no. No, I'm flipping kidding. isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> I'm I am i am feeling I'm feeling too grown up now. Fuck it. Hey! <laughs> but, so anyway. <laughs> so um onto Night Train. Onto Night Train. Um Ultimate Cowbell. Ultimate Cowbell. <laughs> ultimate Cowbell. I mean yeah yeah and, any song that has a cowbell counting <laughs> you sort of can't go wrong you've, you've got to really break some seriously bad laws to be bad from the point of hitting the fourth fourth cowbell stuff like this um this this is the first song again and i don't mean it in a pre- depreciating way of either of the two songs that have gone before this song feels a little bit bigger to me um i'm, I'm not I, I find it hard to articulate exactly why i think that is but there, there's a certain sort of size to it perhaps it's because of the sort of two halves mechanism of you have song proper then you have a whale in solo in a similar way it's not sort of paradise City. um but yeah it it feels more of a um a party live out live anthem um i mean i guess from a sort of writing perspective a lot of this is about the negative side of, of, of drinking. It's essentially a, a drinking song but not necessarily a, a fun drinking song. There's a very sort of dark cadence to it in that sense. Um, but just as a, a slamming slamming song that, that we talked about Izzy and Slash as well and the way that they sort of complement each other. I, I always, I think it was Thin Lizzy you referred to in terms of, sort of some, some of the guitar duality. I, yeah. I kind of think of... Um, a little bit more of the of the stones, the kind of guitar weaving and the way that they work together. Uh, Izzy opens the um opens the main solo with X amount of bars before handing over to a slash, and you can you can real he he has a much more contemporary rock and roll approach to um sort of the Johnny B R- Johnny B Good stuff. He uses those little double stops and sort of Johnny B yeah. Good stuff before before Slash gets in on the action, as it were. Uh, which is nice to hear and which you hear later on in, in another song you, you wrote that we'll come to. Um, so I really like that about it. And then obviously just Slash, <laughs> letting go over that lovely sort of A pedal point riff that's that's just going round and round and round. Um, speaking back to what you said before about sitting in the in the studio, I can imagine this being like a 25-minute a solo that he had to pare down, possibly, who knows? But... Um, yeah, and and then just a, a stupendously good live track as well for a lot of the reasons that that, that sort of, that I've mentioned there.
2: Yeah, well, I think I I think that there's a there's a few on the album, but I think this is the one that most readily um, conjures up Thin Lizzy for me. Mm. The, the it's that twin guitar, uh, the twin lead um, harmonised lead bit in in the middle. Um, but it is so bang on. I do wonder whether it's. Slash double tracking rather than slash and is he playing? I'm not. I'm not quite sure. Um, not to take anything away from is he is he straddling, but you know what happens in studios and deadlines and uh, and what have you. Um, uh, you know, well maybe uh, it's, it also conjures up for me a little bit of kind of early. Uh, Def Leppard, like first couple of albums, which again they they were probably very much shopping at the Thin Lizzy riff store (laughs) at 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 that point
1: as uh, as well. With a dollop of Mot the Hoople added in.
2: (laughs) Yes, yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. Which, let's face it, it, when you're looking at the people who played in those bands, you know, when uh, when the original guitarist left Mot the Hoople, who do they call? Mick Ronson. Uh, Mick Ronson, somebody I think if you ask most guitarists of the ilk that we're talking about here, and they'd say, yeah, he, he influenced and, and informed what we did because he had, you know, rock and roll playing, but a punk rock attitude, and, you know, he, he was innovative, and he, he just, you know, he was great at arranging, so listening to that will influence. And mm. so not there's a difference between influence and inform. For me, influence is where you just take it and you just go with it, whereas I think certainly on this album, people were informed, it doesn't feel like anything is plagiarised and copied it feels like it's you know, very, you know, the likes of, uh, you know Joe Perry is very much an influence on on Slash's playing it doesn't sound like I'm copying Joe Perry, it's the case that I'm Slash, I've heard all these people, but I'm Slash, deal with it yes, yeah, yeah, very much so and again, Gonna to come to the, the the break bit in this. The tendency for bands is to throw the kitchen sink when it goes into the break bit, and it's not. It's it steps and steps and steps, you know, and then kicks back in. The way it steps, it's just really, really, really intelligently done, thought out, and complements the rest of the song. Because it as you mentioned. Uh, in the previous song there's a where there's on it so easy where it goes to the half speed It's a case of it's giving you a breather because you're gonna need it <laughs> for this last bit when we get back on this night train.
0: When you talk about the how how they use things like like breakdowns, to send they are they're, they're sort of oh I don't know uh, not intelligence as much as their their knack of of mixing and The right nuance of song dynamics. I, I often think, sort of. I remember, I remember when I listened to um, Use Your Illusion One for the first time, and right next door to Hell's the opening track, and I, and you know, I, I wanted nothing more than than, a, than sort of a double a double album offering of more appetite for destruction, but you didn't really hear a lot of it, and 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 again, there was plenty of stuff on there that. Um, uh, that I suppose Adler had had a hand in to some degree, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it never delivered. And, and the, the whatever broke up that sum of the parts, whatever the actual part that was missing or the, the, the ambiance of the band that changed or, or whatever, um, I listened to right next door to and thought, this just sounds like a stock rock song. It sounds linear. Mm. There's not much going on. Then I sort of listened through and again, maybe we'll do those two albums at another point and there's plenty of good things to say about them and a lot that I like, but the, the drop in quality, it it, it was, I think it it speaks more to the fact that the, um, these guys at this time got this album so right and, and it works so well. Yeah. Uh, but you, a lot of like the Use Your Illusion stuff just feels very, very linear as if that sort of, uh, Chutzpah to get the right nuances and the right balance of of song dynamics by using a bridge here, uh, a drop down here, um, a, an in, uh, a, another small solo here. It seemed to have lost that by then. They just felt, oh no, we need like twenty songs to get two albums out. Go.
1: I think what we've got here though is is what we talked about before. Band's first album, you've mm-hmm. you've gigged its ass off. You've 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 worked together as a gang on this you've got that team spirit still going and after that it's never going to be the same again because as soon as you've got a record label that's wanting more of the same it puts pressures on you and it's like we want more of this kind of thing we would want less of that we want more of this because that's what sells and a band you know wants to get as big as that you know they can't help but listen to a record company and you know, the, sometimes the bands will willfully go against that. You know, probably the best example of that would be the Wild Hearts, but that's for another time. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, but the first album, they, they're your babies. And you've grown up with them and you, you, you nurture them and you know how you want them to be. Anything after that, there's going to be less time to germinate it, less time for it to have grown organically. So... Put it i mean
2: there's also there's also less time to work on the music if yeah. you're going to concentrate on being a dick which yeah there's a lot yeah a lot went on with this band yes. that had nothing to do with music and had nothing to do with <laughs> uh behavior befitting <laughs> someone was trying to be a musician for, yeah. for for a living and all that you know feeds into it yes. a, a, as well as you know i i love this album but um as as tommy lee jones famously yeah Said to um uh oh god what do you call him on the uh, who played Riddler in uh, Batman, Jim Carrey oh, yeah <laughs> as Tommy Lee Jones famously said to Jim Carrey, I cannot sanction your buffoonery, and <laughs> yeah to, you know to me I I'm I'm always listening to this album, kind of <laughs> trying to tr- trying to I- I- ignore. You know all the dickish behaviour that went yeah. on around the band. Put a pair
1: of white shorts on a man, and he turns into an absolute arse.
0: <laughs> it's a funny thing, though, with Axel because he's the la- it, he's still out there now, and he's kind of the last, arguably the last of his kind that yeah. there are. And and on on, I, I agree with a lot of the sentiment of what you say, Ian, but then there's a big part of me looks at Axel and thinks. Oh man, it'll be really sad when he's not here anymore because he represents he represents a thing and a person I would not want to be within a hundred million miles of. I wouldn't be interested in meeting him, any of those things. But on some level, as as a sort of a peculiar, <laughs> a peculiar rock predator in the wild, I'll miss him when I know that he's not there anymore. It's just, <laughs> I don't know. It's like a, a Passing of an age, almost. yeah, it's he's, he's definitely
2: of an age that doesn't doesn't exist, and he he's not yeah. he's not a character that's that's really suited to uh, the 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 second or third decade yeah. of the new millennium,
0: let's say. Perhaps perhaps he just always felt that people were out to get him, <laughs> which leads me on, which which segues um, very very awkwardly into out to get me, which um, I'll, I'll I'll talk a bit about Axel's, but again I. Some of the songs I don't have tons to say about, so I've, there's a few other notes that I can sort of pull in, and because I do really like his vocal on this for certain, for, for certain reasons, I, I'll throw that in here. But "Out to Get Me" for me, if if I, it's the one, it's one, it's the song on an absolutely amazing album where I have to say this might be the one I'd skip, although I wouldn't anyway, uh, and I, I really do like it. There's some some little aspect of of, of the riff for "Out to Get Me" that just makes me think this is the only riff I've ever. Heard them play on this album that feels like they've almost bought it as a stock riff. Oh, we'll, we've heard that one. We'll keep that in the in in the, in a box and uh, for two pound fifty. And um, if we need to pull it out because we're having a, a slow afternoon, we'll. Which is probably a bit unfair, but again, I'm, I'm struggling to not like anything on this album really. Um, but I suppose this would be the one that, if I had to say, um, but <clears throat> Axel's voice. A very special thing, a very unique and special thing um, and when he screams out to get me on this i I really hear that sort of thin you know my vocal trousers are going to tear at any point <laughs> at any point and and the whole in in a in a strange way, the fact that he Sort of smashed his voice to pieces and never sounded the same again because he just couldn't sound like that for more than a couple of years. Although in
2: recent times
0: he is—he has got better. Got he better again, got better. yeah. I think I think sort of the um, early two thousands he was particularly sort of struggling with the with the Frankenstein Goods and Roses version yeah. sometimes. But but it, it, I think what I'm trying to say is his voice is all the special is all the more special to me as as him being on my sort of audio. Pantheon in, in certain respects, that it's more special because it only really lasted for, for X amount of time. Uh, but, oh, what a voice. It, it, it just so suits the music. It suits his attack. It suits his, his constant anger and edginess and, and a man with 50 chips on his shoulder, not just one. Oh and, bag. And it, it, <laughs> yeah. And he was given, you know, he was given that voice for a reason. And used it scathingly. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I liked his voice. Not tons to say about this track, so mm. by all means, jump in. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: this is, there's three songs on this album that, when I, because I thought, you know, it's a while since I've listened to it, listened back to it again, and there's three tracks of which this is one that didn't immediately claw into me. I listened to it and I thought, of the three that I couldn't remember, this was the better of the ones because the chorus, and the way he sings it, where it's really, he's really at the top of his range. And it and it sounds like he is properly pleading, you know. And I think knowing of his upbringing and, you know, and the trials and tribulations he had, his upbringing, you get the feeling that, that was a genuine tormented delivery. You know, it wasn't, you know, I'm gonna put on the, the cloak of someone who who feels that people are out to get him. It was it, it felt genuine.
2: Oh, it, yeah. I mean, it is teenage angst and yeah. extremist yeah. Yeah. This, isn't it? This was his, and
1: I
0: believe this was one that he specifically wrote as well. This was a yeah. pre pre Guns and Roses Axel song. Um, so yeah, it, which lead everything you've said there, Martin is is he, is doubly more spot on. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right.
2: And i think probably cuz of that reason cuz it's an older one that you had floating around before you know being on the road and, and being um uh, writing more songs it, it to me it is uh from a riff point of view at, at least it is the it is one of the ones that you could point the uh hair metal uh finger at the um the, I mean, the riff sounds like—is <laughs> that the hair metal finger, or the, hair, the, 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 the hairy hairy metal finger, the hairy <laughs> metal finger? Um, I, I, the riff sounds like Motley Crue to me, or, or you know, or maybe even yeah, kind yeah. of um, uh, you know, Wasp off the first couple of hours. It's it's very much in that kind of you know, like like um, uh, souped up Kiss. Mm. You know, it's 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 got that it's got that that thing to, to me yeah. at all. um it's interesting martin that you talked about forgetting songs are on the album i went through I, d- I did a little um uh test on myself before i did it this was the one i couldn't remember mm. when i was trying to list the songs for myself without listening to the album the moment i'd start to listening to the album uh, in order obviously the moment night Train ends you know what's gonna gonna come next so but um yeah I, I, it was it was kind of forgettable for from that point of view um so you know, I I kind kind of concur there, and it is one of the simpler ones on there.
1: What we're looking at is we're looking at a good song amongst brilliant songs. Yeah, you know, and it you know I, I think we're being disrespectful. It's a case of it's one of the lesser songs, but if you know if we'd have written it, we'd have been so proud of it. Um, but yeah, it's just one that, like I say, for, particularly with a couple that are coming up in the next few songs that. that Completely blew my head off. Um, this one didn't, so it, it it suffers as a result of it. And you know, it, it's it, listening back to it, I think oh, a be- it's a much better song than I thought it was.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it suffers by having classier neighbours. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, that's a
0: good way of putting it.
2: I was gonna, just going to say, say on that, that a couple of points. It's got it's got another kind of Thin Lizzy esque twin mm. lead bit going on in the middle. Um, although this time I'm absolutely convinced it is both guitarists as opposed to wonderful tracking, I was probably wrong about the previous one. Um, and then there's a lot more f bombs on there because they're they're naughty boys. Um, but I just wanted to put that in context. We, you know, this was 1987. Um, you know, we had we had Reagan, we had the the whole PMRC um, PMRC stuff going on. And actually, I mean, it seems like a bit of a childish rebellion looking back on it now that we're all sophisticated in uh, in 2022 but actually it, it's a it, what they were saying is no you know literally screw you um you know these are your morals and look where it's got us all um you know so so you, sometimes you have to take a, a historic look at it certainly if somebody wrote a song like this in this day and age you'd go grow up um but the historic
0: context I think I, I think it earns its place. Yeah, there were plenty of reasons to be punk back then, without without a shadow of a doubt. Um okay, let's point a big hairy finger at the... I'm sorry, Ian, that's that's gonna be uh, Ian's <laughs> Ian's uh Ian's accompanying podcast today. <laughs> Ian's hairy metal finger points now. So <clears throat> on to Mr. Brownstone. Um uh, every guitarist in the eighties uh, main reason for wanting to buy a wah pedal. Uh, certainly, well, no, that's probably not true. There's probably plenty of other <laughs> examples of why you buy a wah pedal, but this is certainly the example which uh, captured my imagination back in my uh, formative years of, of, of playing. Um, I, 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 it's the simplest thing to to play with a wah pedal uh, with a mute, you know, muted strings and clacking something rhythmically, <laughs> but. This, this on the album and uh, back again to uh, the show from the Ritz and, and what he made it sound like then, uh, him and Izzy. Um, oh, I, just, I just absolutely love that, that dynamic at the beginning of this song. And it was the first thing. <clears throat> it sounded, with, with hindsight and, and having you know, played a lot more for many more years, um, but at the time, I remember listening to this, thinking, "Oh my god, this sounds so you know so massively original. This is a really weird way of starting a song, sort of thing." And what you know, what exactly is going on? Um, but yeah, Mister Brownstone, uh, yeah. absolutely fantastic swinging song, uh, lovely sort of tumbling main riff, um, song about heroin, obviously. Um,
1: yeah, it's like um, fantastic track. I think it was live in Paris. Where uh, you know there was a particularly volatile performance of this where uh, you know this might this might be the last time you see us live because certain people are playing with Mr. Brownstone too much and it was I'd like and it was yeah. like yeah well it you know it was he was writing from what he knew but this was one of the first songs I ever heard by Guns and Roses I heard it in the phone or and it was a. It was a punk and alternative nightclub, and they played this song. It so happens that the person who played it is my wife. I didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't know at the time, you know, because I was I was young and and sweet uh, that I was going to marry her, you know, years later. But you know, to her, the punk rock attitude was there. It didn't sound like a. It's not a metal song. No. It's 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 informed by you know some of the classic rock acts, you know, like you talk about Aerosmith and Lizzie. Def Leopard at at the Rocky bands like that, but it sounds like none of them. It's 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 something. The first time I heard it, I was like, "What a great song!" And knowing its subject matter later was made it all the more fantastic. But it was not at a place amongst the likes of She Sell Sanctuary by the Cult and the Sisters of Mercy and bands like that. Uh, you know, it was just it was it was groundbreaking. And this was the was one of the two songs. That completely blew my mind about this album. Neither of them were singles. You know, the singles I heard, and they were great as they were, there were two particular songs. And this was the one that I first heard in the Phono. And I was like, how cool is this? I didn't know anything about, you know, Guns N' Roses. This was the first song I heard because Alex had heard, had seen them like early on, you know, and read about them, bought the album as soon as it came out and played it straight away. And it just fits so well amongst the canon of alternative classics. And that's something that I think yes. people f- don't realise about Guns N' Roses. Yes, they're a rock band, but they weren't a standard rock band. Oh, this is definitely
0: yeah. left of centre. I mean, there's a really nice little funk lick in mm. it. Um, after the, don't leave me alone. It's like, it's a lovely little, little like two, two string
1: yeah.
0: funk lick. It really is. And, it, and again, it, it's kind of interesting as well, just because the, they, they, um, the liner notes for the 19 Prince's 1999 re release is opened up with Duff McKagan because they apparently used to listen to this album a lot before they went on stage, Onto to 1999 before they went on stage. So, I just for me personally, I love the fact that they even pull through the slightest nuance of something from a princely guitar point of view yeah. with just these little sort of one line funk riffs that you can just find yeah. um embedded in, into a into a song like Mr. Brown. And
1: going back to Stephen Adler again, you know, the at the end of it, you it's it's not big fill it's step, 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 step. And it, it and it adds gravitas to it and it adds excitement to it by being so simple. And it mm. and that like I say, these are the things that informed my playing. The fact that it doesn't have to be really clever and really full of symbols and 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 fills and double kicks and everything—it's a case of what really builds an atmosphere. And on that song, thus it, it kind of goes in steps and it's it's great to dance to. <laughs> yeah,
2: I think I think for me, it, it's it's the one of uh, the track on the album that most obviously belies their aerosmith leanings but not necessarily in the music itself there's a certain sleazy groove going on there which to me that that's what you know uh, uh, what um uh, what i get from from aerosmith it is that kind of not sloppy but um uh, kind of laid laid back it's that it's Group almost game. like the, the yeah it's like the the song is pulling them along <laughs> rather than they're dictating where the song goes and the vocals I think you know they're slightly sliding across the um the beats and uh, and what have you uh and there's you know we talked about the vocals else, elsewhere but the, the kind of range of, of, of kind of different noises and intonations that that comes on there you know I I get uh, some of that Stephen Tylerness uh, out of there, but I think it's just, yeah, that that whole kind of sleaze rock kind of thing. I mean, uh, the subject matter as well, obviously, but you know, it just, it, it's it, it's kind of a, an archetype, really,
0: for for that whole uh, kind of groove. Yeah, a, a, a unique song, a unique song within within the context of rock. This album, this time period, definitely a, a unique song. Um, I'll always love Mr. Brownstone, bit. it's a really good tune. Which moves us on to one of the two anthems uh, on this album. And uh, frankly, in terms of anthems and uh, live sing-alongs, they don't get much bigger than this. Um, what can you say about Paradise City? It's, it's, it's often the closest um, we will rock you alike. Mm. Intro that, yeah. that I can kind of think of very
1: well, very well um, actually positioned that, yeah,
0: yeah. They, they,
1: Simplicity is it's it's just that, and that's all. You know, we will rock you is, and
0: yeah, nuanced component yeah. parts used perfectly, yeah, yeah, again, sort of thing. Um, I, I love the fact that in, in a similar way to Night night train, in fact even perhaps more starkly, it's this sort of song of of two halves, as you have the song proper to sing along to. And then obviously the incredibly frenetic, sort of double speed, uh, riffing and solo on top—it's it, it, just absolute well, tour de force. It, it's a commercial radio Trojan horse. I mean, it sounds yeah, like yeah.
2: it sounds like summer, doesn't it? It's it, it's it's radio hit, It's it's sunshine, yeah. car car stereo, open highway. That's that's what the the, the song is. But it's, Not at the end, it's not, no, no. <laughs> and it's it, going,
0: yeah. I remember remember <laughs> what rock sounds like. <laughs> you, it's funny, what you, yeah. I know you're you highlighting something I hadn't really thought about there. The, the, the first half is uh, loads, you know, green grass at a festival, sun in your eyes, tinted sunglasses, bandana, you know, getting slightly squiffy, and it's you don't have quite the dark, the dark undertones and overtones that you have on all the songs prior to this but like you say when you get (laughs) Captain America's been torn apart and so on and so forth it it still goes there when it gets sort of frenetic and angry but um I do like the Trojan Horse idea
2: (laughs) I do think if you could write an algorithm to write a a summer rock ballad hit it would it would sound like Paradise City at the start the thing about an algorithm it, it it would sound like that at the end as well whereas <laughs> whereas this most definitely does not huge, there's all huge. sorts of um now the whistle. we've said this several several time and and uh, yeah uh, martin mentioned it earlier about uh, about listening back on decent quality headphones which is what i've been doing f- throughout this this whole series um and especially albums that are from my youth which i never had the uh the high. <laughs> fidelity equipment. was always stuff from Tandy in my early days. <laughs> <year. laughs> yes, uh, um, but I had never before realised until I listened to it today that some some weird ass science fiction lead synth on the intro. What the hell is that all about? No, you haven't noticed it. I'm, I'm, now, trying, go, to pi- I'm trying to picture it. In let, an audio go, it's, in my mind. it's a kind of kind of it's it. The best I can I could describe it uh, as so is, is, is yeah, a yeah. is a is a cheap uh, uh, kind of B movie science fiction movie trying to make uh, make something sound spooky. It's not pheromone, mm-hmm. but it but it, it's it's definitely more synth. But it's a, it's a it's a kind of kind of thing. Do you know what it sounds like? I
1: I don't know what the that thing that horrible thing that Bon Jovi used. What oh, bon right, yeah. <laughs> you know, no, right. I, you know what I mean. That yeah, yeah, that,
2: the the tube thing. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. It sounds like because that's employed at a, on a couple of tracks on this album. Yeah, no, it's de- it's think,
2: definitely yeah. a a, a synth. Sim- go listen, to, not right now, obviously, because that'd be silly. <laughs> but but listen to it. The start of that. Listen out for it, and you'll know what I mean. And you'll go, "Oh, I wish I'd heard that," so we could talk about it extensively in the podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> i have to say when we've when we've, uh, when we've uh, clocked off with our cards tonight i'm gonna have a particularly close i, I think i do know what you mean but I can't, it's not quite I can't as bad it. as
2: uh, as um uh, as the stuff we gave the sisters shit for in in our vision thing episode. Yeah, yeah, um but it is yeah it's weird and it, and it is a uh, you know it, it's pop production as opposed to rock production. I think that's why it, why it sticks out. And I think that also lends its, uh,
0: you know, uh, why it sounds so radio-friendly, especially at the beginning. Somebody, somebody somewhere was thinking of the edit of this song yeah. where it, it starts fading out from the second it gets faster. So the stuff you want in the first half is, is stuff like that. It makes perfect sense, I guess. Makes perfect sense. I like yeah. that
2: the guitars have got that kind of half-muted, very percussive kind of uh, thing going on in the, in the verse, or at least on the slasher side. And I think um, is his strandlings doing something a little bit more full in terms of it ringing out there. But again, because you've got the guitars panned left and right, it's easy to pick, pick, pick that kind of stuff out. When you hear it over a radio or in a club or what have you, when you haven't got the benefit of, you know, perfectly positioned stereo speakers, it doesn't necessarily come out,
0: but definitely does on the cans. Yeah. Yeah. Speaks to, again, speaks to that sort of, mm. Underlying uh, funkism and, as well.
1: Yeah, the, I mean, the, the, the guitar motif that goes throughout this, it's, it, it's, it, it is classic Stones, but the song itself sounds nothing like classic Stones. It, it, it it's, it's all of the great classic rock bands, but in the twentieth cent, in the late twentieth century, it's not trying to emulate. Like, like I said before, it's informed by them. They've still got their own stamp on it rather than feel like a pale imitation of like you say we will Rocky or something like that. But what I always remember about this song is when, when you see it played live, is that you say the double bit double speed bit at the end and, and just watching the the abandonment that the <laughs> band actually have playing it and stamping their feet and really, really allowing themselves to you know, because they're being they've been good to the song up to that point, you know, it's like, we're serving the song, we're serving the song. And now we're going to mental. You know, well, it, and does sound,
2: yeah. it does sound like they're fighting the song towards the end. Yeah. Uh, it feels like at any minute, it's all going to completely come off the rails. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the solo gets a voice when it's not quite in time and it just makes it yeah. pull back and and, yeah. and it does feel like the band are yeah. all going to realize they're playing a completely different song or, or at least a completely different timings at some point but it, it never quite gets there but i think it that's what adds to you know to to use um uh, paddy's metaphor about the roller coaster this is very very much the last fast mm. bit of the roller coaster when uh you know you're supposed to
0: feel like you're about to come off the tracks at any minute
2: i often wonder if this
0: was in the right place on the album as well, in the middle. But yeah, well, it no, was it the end works, of side actually. one. Oh, of course, we're going. We're thinking an album. I still, I still struggle to equate to albums sometimes. I don't know. Because I, 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 mean, I, I got this on on
2: album because I, I, you know I was fifteen when it came out, and, and rock. It was a perfect album for a fifteen-year-old in mm-hmm. the in the mid-eighties. Um, I've actually got the the original cover before they uh, withdrew it and um, oh, did nice. the, the cross. Yeah. I don't know India. if it's worth anything.
1: The, the old uh... well yes. appetite for destruction yeah.
2: is the name of the yeah. artwork. Yeah. Um, yes. But uh, yeah, I've got I've got that. I mean, I mean, it's absolutely knackered. <laughs> In that case, don't bother going under the covers and getting disappointed. <laughs> it is. It, it is definitely an, an
0: enjoyed album. A well loved. Yes. Yeah. Right. Moving on to my Michelle. It, this. My Michelle was a track I was never sure... It, I don't know, I was never completely sure about. I always... I, I the, the sort of intro riff lifted it above uh, a couple of the songs that i possibly less into, but uh, I don't know. I always felt as if I didn't quite completely click with this tune, um, but I'm really not sure why. Again, I love love the... Sort of the moody intro riff, yeah. Um, a great first line about working in porno now that mummy's not around, and so on and so forth. It, it you know, it, it presses all the right buttons in many ways, and then uh, that sort of sort of stumpy, stumpy verse, uh, walking down power codes, da, 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 and so on and so forth. Um, but I'm, I'm not. I've never been entirely sure. I, not not sure about it as a quality song. It's a good tune, but I can I can't quite make it fit in, in my head. I don't I, I don't know. Uh, does does my Michelle confuse you guys as well? <laughs> I
2: don't know. I think to pick up on uh, what Martin was saying about the the Stones. I mean, it's almost like a a more modern take on Mama's little uh, Mother's little helper. The um Daddy works some in, important in that Mama's not around. It's almost. Uh, you know, whatever it is, inventing sealing wax and you know all that those kind of kind of vignette type thing. It's almost the same kind of staccato-y type uh, delivery. Um, but I love, oh God, I love that intro. <laughs> Nothing else sounds like it.
1: This is my favourite song that Guns and Roses ever wrote. Wow! Because it is so unlike anything else they ever wrote. Like you've got that wonderful haunting. And there's swir, and again with headphones and you can hear the swirlings that are going on behind that lovely guitar you know, lattice guitar that's, that's going off. And it lulls you into a false sense of security. You're not expecting it to go bang and into that really dark. I mean the the, the verse riff is so stripped back, there's not a massive amount going on, it's just dirt, 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 dirt all the way through. And the lyrics, do you expect you know, what people were calling hair metal bands to come out with that kind of thing. No, you don't. And my jaw dropped to the floor when I heard this song. And then it stomps it. Like you say, the chorus is a stomper.
2: Mm.
1: But um, it's a song that I love it when bands don't conform. You know, like, oh, we're a rock band. This is the kind of thing we do. But here's something that's going to completely throw you. But it's something that we love. And... I was gobsmacked when I heard this song because it was so different to what the rest of the album is. But that chorus brings it into what they do again. And it's it's a really nasty song. And I, I like, you know, it's a storytelling song. And mm. I love stories in songs because it, it makes you remember the song. It's like, what were the lyrics? Well, it's just three blind mice, the other one. And actually, there's something about this, it's, it's really macabre. And I love it for that. And like I said, because it was, it fe- felt genuinely brave of a band that could have very easily just tried out 12 versions of a similar kind of riff. And, you know, because they were riding that crest of, you know, that people had got it. But no, this is what we do. And this is what we believe in. This is something that we want on this record. You know, um, that I, I will more than any track on this you know there's my michelle and mr brownstone are the two tracks more than any that i will go back and listen to and that excite me every time i hear it you know um and when i was re to the album i was kind of fast-forwarding through certain tracks because i wanted to hear the ones that i couldn't remember as well to be fair to them yeah but these two tracks i'm like i'm touching nothing That excitement I heard first heard, I get that same level of excitement still to this day, age nearly fifty-two, that I got when I was seventeen when I first heard it. You know, it, it it was like this is not what I'm expecting from this band that, you know, everyone's putting out, you know, they're like an Aerosmith kind of poison kind of band. No. This is something a bit a bit unique and a lot you know, which which is why seeing, as you said, the Frankenstein Guns N' Roses and seeing them at, at Leeds Festival and seeing basically dance on the grave of these great songs <laughs> um, upset me so much because they, you know, if you can't do it, just leave it. Move on, do something else, do some other songs by all means. But I, know, I think I, I feel um, so passionate.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you can talk about. Um, the actual musicians involved in this mm. uh, obviously slash gets all of the um uh, the focus when it comes to uh guitar um but this one here i think is a, a prime example it shows exactly how important Izzy Stradlin was mm. because in the, in the solo slash is off doing his thing and is his guitar playing is kind of holding on to Slash's yeah. solo and tethering it to the rhythm section. It's, it's fantastically realized as, as a, 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 as a, as an arrangement. Um, and I think you only get that, that's, that, that's, that's two guitarists that are used to playing with each other yeah and having a sense of a sense of the song. And if you, if you helicopter someone in to go, oh right, you're the rhythm guy now. I'm not so sure that that, no, uh, you know, that camaraderie
1: in playing c- can yeah. exist. And I think something that this is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound really crass when I say this, Slash frustrates me because some of his playing can be really, really, really well informed, but sometimes it, it's really sloppy and he mm-hmm. needs that pinning. In, and I think what you just said there, I think it's a classic example where Izzy could pin him in and rein him in and just he like said on the previous song, there's a bits where it's almost out of time and out of out yep. of sync with everything, but it's pinned in. And I think Izzy, you know, a bit like when we're talking about uh, Stephen Adler, I think the two people that are missed and the spirit that's missed in it is them. Yeah, because you've got the straight straight ahead, and then you've got Izzy raining raining in slashes. Um, should we say tendency to want to go I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, no, 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 just come back a bit but stay within this and I think hearing what Izzy was doing was what kept Slash from going too sloppy
0: Yeah they, I think they both I think Slash was was a percentile better with Izzy there yeah, uh, it, like, yeah. like again taste and acuity for getting yeah. it just right
1: because I've watched footage of the reformed Guns N' Roses, and Slash at times is is on songs where, you know, from from this album, his his delivery is bordering on sloppy because he's not got that it's he's not got that pinning, you know, he's not being pulled back a bit by somebody. It's as you said, you've flown in a really good rhythm guitar player, fantastic rhythm guitar player, but he's not, you've not got that. Symbiotic relationship between the two guitarists, mm-hmm. you know, from history and and being you know buddies and, and and working on this body of work, that you don't have that feel, and it certainly comes across when I watch live footage now of the same yeah. songs being performed. Were, it's what I noticed more, they were yeah. kind of
0: made for each other. You you mm. you, you see it now and again to varying degrees, mm. uh, and there are some good duos out there. But yeah, I think Izzy and Slash were were particularly well. I think we had to use symbiosis. It, it did. It worked really, really well. And and again, go back to um, the other stuff about like Steve Nadler, like not having Izzy and Steve Nadler there was a much bigger difference with, than on the face of it. With as yeah, Ian said, having all the slash attention. You might not think initially, oh well, it's going to make that much difference, but hey, it made it made a lot of difference.
2: Well, you you, you lose the, the you know the, the foundation of the song and also the mortar in the middle that glues it all mm. together. Absolutely,
0: I uh, couldn't agree more. Definitely. So uh, oh, I love I love the fact that that's your favourite tune as well, Martin, because you kind of own that now for me. And whenever whenever I listen to that, I'll <laughs> th- think about you. See what hey! I did there. See what I did there. I'm I'm, I'm going for some no. kind of ludicrous segue challenge. I think. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't mean to. I don't mean to.
1: You get five points for that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank
0: you. Um, uh, Ian, do you want to say something about think about you? Uh,
2: yeah. Okay. So, so, given what we've said about um how good the drumming is, um. The first thing I want to say about this song is that the timing drifts all over the bloody place. Um and I don't know whether that is um I, I doubt it's bad playing. Um I, I think it sounds to me like it might have been assembled out of a couple of mm. different takes because um it slows with a jar into the verse twice. Uh, the first verse it's more noticeable, but it happens again in in, in the same verse. And it does sound like, yes, take. Uh, two different takes at slightly different tempos and they just ram them together. Um, and I just, having heard that, I find it difficult not to, not to hear that now. Uh, it only annoys me about for about three seconds, but, but, uh, it's, it's, it's very obvious. Um, so I, 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 don't know. Like I say, I think that was probably a production and, and editing thing rather than a, a playing thing, but I just think it's worth highlighting seeing as we said, how, yeah. how good the, the, the drumming is. Um, so, uh, but but having said that, it is nice to hear things that aren't on the grid. Um, you know, so much modern, so much modern music. Um, uh, you know, it's all it's all grid aligned. Even stuff that's mm. played live. You know, you know people have been pushing the the beats around to get to get them uh, uh, precision. And and then obviously, Paddy, when we <laughs> we play with a, a robot, um, you know, you've got that kind of thing going on. So but it, so it is nice to get get a bit a bit of that that swing into things. Um, but I think the main thing for me is the, the dynamics in it. I absolutely love the, um, the kind of nice 12-string acoustic arpeggio thing over the chorus, um, even though it's a bit, a bit sloppy.
0: <laughs> that's, um, what, that's one of my notes, without a shadow of a doubt. It's a really, <laughs> really, really nice little touch. And again, something that doesn't really appear anywhere else quite so obviously. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and, uh, and if, you were, if you were saying, hey, we're doing a,
2: a heavy rock album, um, or even a hair metal album, it's not the first thing you'd think of, mm. because it usually, if you if you're moving to a, a an acoustic guitar or what have you, there's a couple of reasons you you, you do it. One is is to make it uh, seem a bit more gentle or a bit or, or maybe even ballady or what have you. It it doesn't do that in this song. It doesn't lose any of its um, drive by doing that because it's just kind of floating on the top. So it's not like you've got this kind of tonal uh, shift in the um in the kind of not that it's a particularly angry song but you know the, the kind of ang- angst of it all um and i just think it's a lovely bit of production
0: think about you and anything goes we're always the two that i felt i didn't have as close a relationship with for some reason and, and i wasn't you know I, i've said out to get me was probably the one that i'd have to say was my least favorite never quite knew what i thought about my michelle Um, But Think About You and Anything Goes were like this couplet that I just didn't, I don't know, I never got, felt like I never really got close enough to them. Uh, And a few years ago, I think it was at start of lockdown, I started just randomly learning songs because what what else had we all to do at the time? And uh, I I worked, sort of worked out Think About You and, and Anything Goes and they went right up the scale for me. They're really, really nice. Um Again, think about using another Izzy track, and again, you can tell because of the um little uh, his intro. The it again, it's little uh, sort of Johnny Be Good stylings, yeah. those those kind of riffs and what. And he you... gets some some lead uh, some lead breaks on this as well. He, he does indeed. He does indeed. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of like it for being one that's a bit more overtly Izzy's and just a, it's it's slightly more light it's a little bit lighter and a little bit more flighty in terms of tone and meaning i guess mm. um so it it's nice to have that sort of little darkness break um in 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 a way as part of the whole ensemble of the album but yeah no i i a really nice little track i think about you I like it a lot
2: and I and i think as I, as i said um in the Vision Thing episode, I'm not quite sure why they uh, um, saw the need to add some claps (laughs) on the the solo and uh, the the pre-chorus at the end. Yeah. They just stick out as as unnecessary. I I don't see what they thought it was adding.
1: Could be worse. There could be a honking robot (laughs) goose with a twanging ruler.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what.
1: if if we ever write a song together, that's that's going <laughs> on it, Martin. Yeah. Anyway, for me, this was one of the three songs that hadn't earwormed, and when I listened back to it, I realised my main thing about this is the way the verses sung compared to how the chorus is sung. Mm-hmm. It's it, the verse is quite, you know, it's got a bit of gravel in it, and then the chorus is it's too. AM, where the 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 verses are fm and and the and, and and the chorus is am it's just really lightly sung it's it's a bit too nicely sung compared to the, the verse you know it doesn't
2: it does show axel rose's range i mean it it is it is easy to kind of dismiss him as a out and out screamer but there is a lot more to it and i think uh, i think it does show off a little bit the the subtlety here on this album, mm. obviously, you know you've got you've got things on other albums that uh, mm. that
1: lead think, to be yeah. a bit
2: more. I think it
0: adds a shade rather than disappoints.
1: But for me, it, it it feels like it should go the other way around, where a verse can be quiet and then the chorus rocks. Yeah, but it seems to it seems to drop the chorus. Yeah, you know, the level, I mean, yeah. the intensity level, can, just feels like it drops a bit, and I think that's why it never really earwormed with me. Because you got the verses, you got the, like, it's just got that gravel to it, and then it just, it's a nice chorus, and it's yeah, yeah, it shows how well he can sing, and I think that's because he became such an arsehole, people forget, <laughs> man can sing, yeah. man's got a damn good set of pipes, you know, it's a bit like um, I watched the Freddie Mercury tribute, and when he came on, and doing bull rap. and yeah there was one bit where, you know, no, 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 no sound check, no rehearsal and harmonizing with Elton John, which, you know, you don't know what pitch anyone's going to go at and to do it live in front of a hundred thousand people, that takes cojones, you know, and uh, just doing it off the cuff, Respected massively for that, you know, um, but yeah people forget he was a a really, really good singer, you know, rock singer, but can can sing ballads, can sing rock songs, can, you know, really scream his head off and all. And people just have him down as this, you know, white pants wearing egotistical (laughs) uh, idiot that people pandered to too much, which is, you know, lead singer syndrome, uh, sadly, you know, that uh, people allowed him to, you know, clip around the ear, you know, come on, you pillock. Get on stage, you know. It's like no. I mean, I w- I w- that might I be w-
2: the most Yorkshire thing you've said yeah. on this entire. Thing. I was going to say,
0: here are some words that <laughs> Axel Rose never heard said yeah. to him.
1: Yeah, I think reality <laughs> checks are sometimes necessary. I mean, I've I've, I've just uh, read the updated version of a, a great book. If you've not read it, you should it's called Zealot in Wonderland. Uh, it's about a fan's eye view of the Wild Hearts, and there's bits in there where you just think reality checks needed sometimes by people Um, and that was the one thing that had it happened with Axl Rose, Guns N' Roses could have stayed a band that, you know, were at that level whereas they didn't sadly, but anyway.
0: (laughs) Well, moving on to the song which probably propelled him into being the, uh, being allowed to be the gentleman that he, he, he often purveyed himself as, I guess um which is the other, the the other huge iconic anthem in sweet child of mine um sweet the, the main thing i'll say about sweet child of mine for me is um you have all the you know the the whole thing about you know you don't go into a guitar shop and you don't play no stairway man <laughs> and you don't play smoke on the water well for me I, I can honestly say that like this riff is my stairway and smoke on the water it, it's yeah. It is the single most iconic guitar riff I've got in my head that I'll ever hear. um, From my sort of uh, yeah formative years and 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 listening to music, it's just so sort of special to me. Is this? Um, I think it ages for a lot of people, but it just doesn't for me. And I think the story was that it was almost a joke song when he came up with it. It was something. I think it's almost a
2: finger exercise, isn't it?
0: Yeah, they said it. It, it sounded like a, a little carnival ditty, or like a, yeah. something to do, sort of a carnival thing. But my goodness, did they use it to good, uh, to to a good right. end, didn't the, in the, the sad
1: uh, thing is, is finding out that Slash came to hate playing this song so much that he would purposely get it wrong.
2: Uh, that's why. That's why it sounds like that when I play it. Purposely <laughs> get it
1: wrong. <laughs> You know, uh, and there's, there's there's many a clip I've seen of, of, of him playing it and it's like, yeah, well, nah, it's like I could do this in my sleep, but I'm just bored of it. You know, like you say, with it being iconic, it, it's our, I, I would agree, you know, to a lot of people of our age and a bit younger, it is our version of Stairway to Heaven because it's a, the iconic rock and roll riff. You know, that, you yeah. know, and so... Um... Well, th- that, that riff gets
2: all the attention, but the lead work throughout it oh, is yeah. incredible and it's I know it's a, it's a love song but it's almost musically it's a love song to the lead guitar. That's that's mm. what this song is. It's mm. you know it's four minutes of this is what a gig gu- a guitar can do. Um uh, you know and it's 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 a, it's a shame that you know um uh, slash I mean it's like you know Lemmy always said he said you get fed up with playing Ace of Spades and he goes well <laughs> song's been too good to us <laughs> over the years mm-hmm. if someone comes to to uh, a show they expect to hear it because that's the song they know who am i to deprive them of that you know and it yeah. it's a it's a bit of a shame when uh, you know and i can understand that that, that these things kind of hang like an albatross around people's necks but it's not just that, that riff, you know, the, the solo, you can sing the solo. Everyone knows the solo can sing along to it or they, uh, these the solos, I should say.
1: Mm. There's so much blues in it as well, though, you know, and it, it, it feels to me, you know, like again, informed by classic Aerosmith kind of, that kind of Aerosmith and kind of stonesy kind of, Bluesy rock and roll riff, but certainly doesn't sound like they've lifted it from them.
2: It it, it is Guns and Roses as Free Bird, really, isn't it? Because it's it's all about the lead guitar, and it's it, you know it, it says right, you know, and it, and it indulges in it.
0: It's not not embarrassed about yeah, it yeah. at all. But I'd, I would also say, and I mean, as a guitarist and a lead guitarist, I'd also say that his his voice. That that sort of thin thinness and crooning, uh, more of, obviously more of a croon than a than an angry uh trousers splitter, <laughs> but it it, it 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 the uniqueness of his voice also is a massive part of this song for me, mm-hmm. um, which was important because I guess this is a song that probably mainstream crossed them more than anything else. Mm. Um, again, if if Paradise City was um. Um, sort of radio airplay bait, and the sweet child riff is massively that. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things as well. It isn't quite a ballad ballad. I, I look at bands like Extreme and More Than Words or um, Mr Big. It's not to, a saccharine. No, to be with you. And those are the those are like breakthrough hits and that just steams me completely because I'm like oh my god if you if you like more than words but don't worship at the altar of decadence dance I just want to punch you in the <laughs> face it's the same with like Mr Big if if you if you hear uh, to be with you but you don't appreciate just how mammoth the guitar rally addicted to that rushes you're insane this this is this is a ballad with plenty going on, with the whole yeah. band with bombast. ensconced in it with bombast. You're absolutely yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, not quite as much bombast as November Rain, but um, <laughs> but no, uh, oh, brilliant ballad, and it, and it shot them to where they ended up being. I think ultimately, and, and broke broke the out al- was one of the main reasons why the album uh, broke that year later when it came out as a single. So I think the first single was actually Welcome to the Jungle, if I remember correctly, but. Uh, yeah, an absolute mammoth stomper of a ballad. There's no getting away from it. And uh, I could be, well, if I ever speak to Slash, I'll be very cross with him about not looking after this this <laughs> Riff Live. Let me tell you, I'll say you're absolutely crazy. Which, funnily <laughs> enough, <clears throat> effortlessly, effortlessly brings us on to a song of the same, same name. Do you want to have a chat about you're crazy then first,
1: Martin? Again, this is one of the ones that it didn't earworm me. And I listened back to it and I thought, it's a lot better than I thought it was. Uh, and it's because there were so many singles on the album and I had my favourites. And if anything else, kind of got to one side. And I feel I feel bad about that when I listen back to it. I'm like, did I have rose-tinted glasses with the songs I like? No. But the singles, are, you, know, you don't need to hear them again. So you tend not to listen to the album because you've heard what you want to hear. And then you go back, you think, well, I've been unfair to the, these poor children here. They've been they've been sat for longer, what about <laughs> me, what about me? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it's not, it, I think if you were looking at tracks to re- choose a singles, there's never been one. But like I said, I think I've it's it's been done a disservice to by being amongst the great. You've got the great and the good, and this is the good amongst the great. Hmm. A song like this does
0: suffer from sort of the gravity wells created by the really, really big ones. Mm. Uh, in a well, I
2: mean, it comes things. straight after Sweet Child of Mine. It, 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 absolutely. It's it as simple as Sweet
0: Child of Mine is complex. Yeah, yeah. I, I do love kind of the devil m'care of it. You could almost... You, it's almost as if the band could just... All, all their limbs could just fly apart halfway through the song because it's such a sort of... Um, absolute balls-to-the-wall riff. It's it's a bend, and it's going at sort of... I mean, it isn't going at a million miles an hour compared to, say, Battery or something, but it's, you know, it, it, for, for goods and Roses, it's rattling on. Um, it's nice to... I guess it's nice to have heard the acoustic version to have... Um, sort of... Uh, <clears throat> to inform you more about the intention of the song and how it sounds like... what it sounds like in in the other presentations. I remember seeing some really scratchy Japanese gig that they did in 88 where they played the slow version of this, but with, um, you know, fully electric instruments. And that was actually really cracking. I think they did about half of it at that slower pace, but then kicked off again. So just having that sort of mix and match dynamic as well for a live thing was fantastic. Um, and I like the slow version as well. I really do. Um, but uh, yeah it's just the reckless abandon of it it's 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 got a, a little bit of a punkism but I wouldn't say it's punk because it swings too much but yeah uh, great song a great song but I probably wouldn't put it in my top half necessarily but again that's again yet again to overstress the point that's only because of the brilliance of of a lot of the material on this on on this album I mean we've
2: we've talked about the the cowbell but this has got some interesting percussion going on is it yeah got, uh, what do you call it a guy gyro? is it
1: yeah that thing? yeah yeah I, I when we were first going to do this i actually um i actually googled it I so thought it's like <laughs> you sound when you were kids at school yeah a primary school <laughs> yeah, percussion yeah, instrument they, yeah. uh,
2: they give you so you can uh, play along
1: <laughs> yeah it's like go stand in the corner and just scratch that with a stick <laughs>
2: Yeah, interesting thing to stick on a, a rock
0: and roll album. Now yeah. then, isn't there Guiro on the beginning of Anything Goes as well? Uh, then maybe I can't can, can remember making that up that. in my head? I could so be, It's,
2: I could be. it's mm. the co- kind of wooden thing that's like got corrugations I know you mean. on
1: it. Yeah.
0: It's a, a, yeah, a scraper. <laughs> it's a yeah. scraper.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. When I was looking up for what they were called, I was just like, a scraping drum instrument. <laughs> that's what I actually put in. <laughs> Came up with some really bizarre uh, options, I have to say.
2: I, I, I'm sure it's one of those instruments yeah. that, uh, uh, when you did have them at primary school, no one ever told you what they were called. Meh. You just handed one and a stick. <laughs> yeah.
0: Have at it. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, well, we'll say that we we'll, we'll give it extra kudos for using a guairo Then I just had a really little um, off. Off microphone, listen to Anything Goes. Now, I have no idea why I thought there was choir on that. Now I've listened to the first <laughs> bar, But hey-ho. Uh, so, yeah, on to, on to Anything Goes then. I, I Again, this was my sort of couplet um, with Think About You a little bit. Uh, another one, I'd say I, I had a, a play at this and sort of liked it quite a lot more. Um, but <sighs> I don't know. I'd be saying the same things over again about anything goes, especially in the face of Rocket Queen as the last song. So, I don't know if anything anybody's got anything particularly. Uh, it's
1: phonetic. No, not nothing massively. What's really weird is these two songs that the song we just talked about and this one have exactly the same length of time, which I always thought was quite spooky.
0: Mm. Ooh. i think there is one thing in in anything goes that stuck out for me as well that chicken scratch effect that they do with the guitars that are panned if you can yeah. recall that so it's like yeah. a sort of a mute mute bend mute bend thing which i thought was love sort of used to to lovely effect and again perhaps not to the extent of the beginning of mr brownstone or something but stood out as something ooh, i sort of haven't heard that before i certainly hadn't uh, uh, when i listened to it back in the day um, i
2: think the only th- only thing i've got to note on anything goes is um it's probably the one where axel most readily wears stephen tyler on his sleeve uh, mm. it's all those kind of, the, the kind of um uh, percussive voice um uh, bits and pieces they're very they're very uh stephen tyler um other than that, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a good enough song, but it's kind of by the numbers,
0: I think, isn't it? Mm. A little bit, yeah, a little bit. Um, <clears throat> as I haven't got tons to say about it, the one, one thing that I'd, I've um, managed to, to to leave off so far was um, with regard to Guns N' Roses and listening to them back in the day and just perhaps uh, invoking, possibly for the last time, the uh, 1988 show at the Ritz, which uh, we showed how... How gen it was the first music I'd heard, which is a really weird context to say this now. But obviously times have changed, and we're all getting on a little bit. But it 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 felt to me as I was listening to it properly dangerous, and these mm-hmm. guys felt properly dangerous and a little yeah. bit frightening. And that was the first time uh, I'd I'd kind of looked at an, an artist and thought, oh, you know, if I. I, I, I kind of I don't know they're, they're a little bit scary. they there is something really da- genuinely dark there. Which, looking back, you are it because obviously there's things you can compare to along the last thirty five years and so on. But um, yeah, back in the day, they were proper scary. I just wanted to throw that in.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, you used to get you know the most dangerous rock and roll band in the world, Guns and Roses, and there were you know. You know, the one of us jumping off stage and, and having a go at someone. I mean, obviously, there's that classic one where uh, the camera, you know, the bloke's taking pictures, and Axel Rose is, get him out of here, get him out of here, and, and no one does anything. And he just dives off stage and pummels the guy. You know, oh, most excellent. bands don't do that kind of thing. They're just like, you know, get him out of here, get him out of here. He was like, no, I've solved this. And, you know, the number of times where people just throw down instruments and just
0: have at him. He's, he's no he's no Dave Grohl where he just gives them a Paddington stare and asks them politely to leave, is he?
1: No, I mean, you look at the kind of similar kind of thing where I remember would at uh, the very first Foo Fighters tour at Leeds Academy uh, when it was town and country club and someone threw uh, a trainer on stage and it just went whizz past Dave Grohl's head, so he stopped the gig and says, right, who's trade is this? And this bloke went, many goes, come up on stage. <laughs> and he turned around. And he just smacked his ass with it. He went, don't do that again. <laughs> it, in its um, own way, yeah.
0: quality, I'll, yeah. I'll give him that.
1: But so, you know, uh, Axl Rose didn't, you know, it, 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 it put me in mind of there's a classic uh, piece of uh, Stones live footage where someone d- jumps on stage and Keith Richard, without missing a fucking note, Swings his guitar, <laughs> smacks the guy, <laughs> knocks him completely off his feet, and just starts playing like nothing has happened. That's key, you know? oh, man, that's Yeah, key. <laughs> and I think that, that that that's it was that similar kind of gang mentality, you know, of, of cl- the classic yeah. era Stones, that Guns and Roses certainly. Again, I'm talking about that informed thing, but you know, it was like they were a proper gang where it wasn't a band; it was a gang where you could see, you know, they could handle themselves yeah. and they wouldn't be adverse to doing so.
0: Jumping into the slight digression, and I'm going to jump straight to Rocket Queen in a minute, but it's funny you should say that. Uh, there's a piece of film where Kurt Cobain cracks a security guard on stage with a, a guitar for having a go at a, at a, as a punter. And yeah. uh, the guy turns around and clocks Kurt Cobain. And I swear to God... Dave Grohl is over the top of the drum kit so fast <laughs> that yeah. by, by, yeah, by, yeah. by the time Dave Grohl lands in front of the drum kit, the f- drum beat is still going. It was the weirdest <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life. It was a- anyway, I digress. <laughs> I digress. So on to Rocket Queen. If you want to bookend an album, oh my God, is this a good way to do it? Um, go on. I, w- I won't nick all the good comments straight on this one, in. if you want to. All
2: if right. If you want so, to <laughs> First of all, the uh, first note I put in is ooh bass, um, because it's got some really nice bass playing on this. Not uh, not just the tone of feature, but there's this kind of hammer ons and pull offs and bends and stuff. You know, this is this isn't someone playing the uh, the eighths or sixteenths to keep the pace up on the on the root note. There's some nice nice bass playing going on, and it's nice to <laughs> eventually hear that featured, even if it is the last track uh, on the on the album. Um, i've got what else i've uh, got uh, about this oh yeah I, it's got uh, kind of sloppy guitars in in the verse that again feel like they might fall off the song at, at any minute um yeah. but from a, from a drum point of view there's some really nice hat work going on martin do you want to mm. do you want to comment on that yeah. because it, as a non drummer it stuck out to me as as being particularly, uh, particularly did
1: good. this 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 whole song, the, the cymbals the way you use them is is really, really sparing. Because far too many bands, it's like, I've got all these symbols I'm going to hit them all every time, every time, every time, because I've spent enough money on them. It's a case of, no, they're accents. These things are accents. Use them to accent something. And I think this is the thing that Stephen Adler did really, really well. Mm -hmm. He knew what these bits of metal were for. And it wasn't vulgar, you know, never, never vulgar on at any, at any point. And uh, there's a bit, you know, slacking it off on the hi hat on this particularly, that you know, to give it that kind of groove that, that's on it. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: but it's, it's it's only when I've re- listened to it, I've realised how much that Stephen Adler's playing informed what I do. I was like, <laughs> Jesus there's a direct line between him and three other people <laughs> that fed into what I do. And, uh, you know, I owe him more than I thought. <laughs> so go for my cap to Mr. That's, that's genuinely that's nice. Way. That,
0: that you yeah. can go back and re- it's almost stuff that you just took by osmosis and you look back and think, hang on a minute. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely great stuff. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Now this song's just a, a lovely, um, I can't for a minute think it was designed to finish the album. So I don't think that's how they would have thought that it, it just does the job so well. Um, I particularly think of the, the last section, which is this sort of steady, um, almost like audio countdown uh, as they do the descending chord sections. And, and uh, you have the sort of parity with the vocal as, as, it, as, it, as it, everything slows down together and sort of gets there. Um, indeed, it was so good, I, I almost lifted it note for note for a song that we wrote on an album a long time ago. That we wrote well. but, um, but yeah, no. I, Absolutely brilliant. I love what you say about the bass, Ian, because it's proper funky bass line as well. Yeah. It really rattles along with a you know, funky bass line with a pick, which is a... Yeah, a, yeah. It's, yeah. It's not it's not really and, works. And, and then well. also some sort of um, lots of quite intense shading with the guitars. You have like um, uh, chords and chord extensions over that sort of beginning section that really makes it sort of a bit... Uh, oh, I hate using use, use the, the words are still good even though I've already used them elsewhere but sort of get a dark and moody sort of swirly effect before you, you go into the song proper very interesting because I know what the, <clears throat> I played this quite a lot because I know what the, the lines are for the verses it, it is a really weird little it fits but it doesn't fit thing yeah. like I so say this idea of them perhaps sounding like it's going to fall off the verses a bit. The, the, the verses don't sound like massively cohered musically in the way that you'd have your grouting between your bricks it, it just sort of stumbles along and happens to work, which I always, again, I always thought was fantastic, particularly with that juxtaposition against this tight little sort of, again, funk bass riff at the beginning and the way that it, the end's very structured. But then, yeah, you have this sort of oddly... <sighs> ill-defined slide guitar section but it does work um yeah great song rocket queen great live song um it doesn't get boring as well even though it's longer it kind of doesn't get boring it's it's good because it's kind of
2: two songs though isn't it yes i mean it's not quite beatles day in the life but but it does kind of sound like it it, it was two songs that were rammed together, and they worked out how to join it in the middle. Mm. I know it wasn't; it was written written as a, as a piece. But it, but it, the the two phases of the song are so different that um, uh, you know it doesn't doesn't outstay its welcome for for the for the length. I'm not quite sure what that phaser effect on the vocals in the chorus is for. Um, seems a bit weird. Um, obviously, a studio decision you know, they wouldn't have done that live. So yeah. um, I think
1: I think sometimes, you know, if you're within certain parameters you want something that'll make it a bit different to you. Yeah. So when you listen to yourself as as the writer of it, oh that's the one where I did that thing. So it's a little bit different for me rather than it's all of the same It'll just try something a bit different. Uh, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um and that's why, you know, going back to things like my Michelle doing something completely different. You know, it's a case of you try it, and yeah. there's there's little effects in these last three, two or three songs where they're using effects that are different to what's at the beginning of the album. It's you know, it's like okay, we're gonna we've got some toys left in the studio, let let's let's try them.
2: Well, not least obviously on this one are the um uh, <laughs> the, the noises of a young lady enjoying herself or yes. what have you, uh, which is I mean, it's a kind of story. It's a little bit. Yeah. Grubby to modern sensibilities, so we don't yeah. really need to dig into that any further. But mm. um, something it, of a yeah.
0: cliche of the time as well. Yes, <laughs> a lot of yeah. That, those kind. And of there's that many
1: different versions of it. You know, it's like, well, yeah, yeah.
0: But I think, on a whole, it's uh, intended to, or not intended to, in terms of if it was written. I'm sure it wasn't intended to do. It still slots brilliantly at the end of an album. Um, to finish it off especially that that again that last section just rolls everything up in a little neat parcel for me um and works mm. to, to to a treat so i guess i guess some um general closing comments then about this uh this juggernaut from 87 um yeah as we it's it's always interesting because when we get to the end of a podcast, and I have the benefit of listening to you guys talk and mulling things over in between sentences and reactions and reposts and what have you, it 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 feels like it's kind of reinforced that idea a little bit for me. As it was a, it was a bit of a pivot album in in certain ways. It it it, it did offer a little bit of a step towards what alternative rock became in the early 90s mm. and it also did allow a different type of voice and a slightly different type of sunset strip sound rock metal in terms of going that that dirtier bluesy a little bit more creative a bit more musical uh direction um which was a great thing but uh, it's just a, just a juggernaut of an album
2: it certainly casts a long shadow um yeah, yeah. over over stuff that came and it, I you know it's, it's one of the reasons I mean people go on about how um uh, you know how grunge came along and and, and killed heavy rock it, it didn't it just they just changed what got in the playlist on the radio and all this stuff went away and you know there, there was there were people forming bands in in the late nineties um that were that were well aware of this album and other ones of its ilk. And, you know, and they were, the differences that the bands that they were putting together and the stuff they were writing was informed by this and the kind of, um, Seattle excursions and, and what have you. And then that got, that got we- weaved together. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, the, the fact that, um, uh, they still regularly playing some of those tracks of this album on the, on the radio, um, it, it, there's a lot of the kind of hair metal stuff, and they had hits at the time, you know, Poison, Motley Crue all had chart hits. No one's playing those <laughs> anymore um, yeah. on anything except dedicated, you know, uh, kind of uh, nostalgia rock uh, stations. Whereas this had this broke through and was mainstream success for very non-mainstream uh, sensibilities in terms of the writing and, and the music.
1: Well, like I said earlier on, I can think of no greater compliment to Act where punks got it, goths got it, people into alternative music got it, and you know, I I honestly don't think it's coincidence that the you know, Nevermind was on the same label um, because it was a label that got you know, alternative rock, and let's face it, some of this is alternative rock, you know you know, some of it's just rock, but some of it is alternative rock, sells, as long as people get to hear it, let people hear it and people can make a judgment on it because I've gone back and listened to, you know, quite a bit of Soundgarden and Pearl Jam because, you know, um, occasionally do these things I'm like, very very much influenced by classic rock still, Hmm. you know, Uh, and yet, oh, it was grungy, it was completely different. No, it wasn't. I mean, there were elements, I mean, there were some of the shall we say, um, lyrics, took it to different places, but a lot of the sounds were quite, you know, to t- quote t- Lars, quite stark. <laughs> <laughs> mm. But this was an album that did cross over, you know, and it, it made the cult realise, you know, okay, well, this kind of thing is where we're heading, mm. you know, uh, and I think it's no surprise that then what happens was, The cult we're using, Matt Sorum, Guns N' Roses stole Matt Sorum. Yeah, I don't think there's things that are not massively a shock to me, but it was, it was, it was a, like I say, when I first heard it, I first heard it in in an alternative nightclub in Leeds, Mm. and it was not a nightclub that played rock music.
0: (laughs) I think the best thing, I think the thing that any, if a band, if a band released an album. And 30 years later, somebody can say it stood the test of time and it's still listenable. For me, that is probably one of the most precious things you could ever achieve. And I think basically that's what happened with this album for me. Mm-hmm. Right then, i uh, going to wrap it up there. Thank you very much, gentlemen. It's been a, been a, a great night. Um, really enjoyed that. Um, hopefully we could perhaps... Perhaps in the not-too-distant future, we'll do a little bit of a, of a follow-up and uh, let's say what happened next and perhaps <laughs> a, another a more subtle what happened next as well as uh, the obvious what happened next. But, so we'll get there yeah. when we get there. Okay. Uh, thank you very much for listening as ever, wherever you are, and uh, we wish you a very good evening, morning, or whatever, or wherever it is you're Great listening. time of day it is. <laughs> thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye. Bye, everyone.